Well, the clear theme of John 15 is that Christianity is about relationships. In verses 1 through 11, we have our relationship with Christ, and the key there is abiding in Christ. In verses 12 to 17, it's about our relationship with believers, and the key there is loving one another. And then in verses 18 to 27 is about our relationship with the world. And the key there is witnessing. Now when you see this in John 15, it becomes very clear that the old adage is true. Christianity is not a religion, but it is a relationship. And now today we learn about how the relationships among Christians are supposed to work. By the way, that's, that's very, very critical, isn't it? So very, very critical. We have been given a task to do, and we cannot do it alone. Uh, we have been called to represent the Lord Jesus Christ until he comes and gets us again. But we represent Jesus together. He has made us members of his body, the church. There are no lone wolves in the Christian faith. Bible teacher Merrill Tenney puts it this way. He says, Jesus' work in this world depends upon our attitudes towards one another. And Jesus makes that very, very clear today. Now, in John 15, uh, verses 12 to 17, Jesus tells us what we are to do, and then he tells us how we are to do it with one another. I never cease to be amazed at the teaching ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. And today, he wonderfully shows us, this is what I want you to do, and then let me flesh it out so that you can see how. Let's open our Bibles for a moment and look together at John 15. I want to read for us verses 12 to 17 and ask that you would follow along as we see today this new commandment that our blessed Savior says he gives to us. Listen to his words. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me. But I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. Let's pray for a moment. O Lord God, It seems that the older I get, the more my love for your church, your precious people, is tested. 
Lord, I know that when it comes to my own love, I have only scratched the surface of the depths that you want me to go to. I confess to you that often I get weary in loving as I should. And I'm so grateful for the reminder of the Lord Jesus Christ that when it comes to serving him and serving his people, it is all about love. Teach us today what this love truly is, that we might be your fruitful people serving you together. For Jesus' sake we pray. Amen. Now as we look at this passage together, we notice that Jesus gives to us a new commandment. And that new commandment is that we are to love one another as I have loved you. Notice that Jesus gives that to us in verse 12, and then he repeats it at the end of this section in verse 17. And we have to ask ourselves this question, why does Jesus give us identical commands in verse 12 and verse 17. And it is very, very clear that it is because it is his preeminent command as far as our relationship with each other, with believers, goes. It is as though in this passage, before he moves on to talking about the world, he wants to remind us. He doesn't want us to forget And so in verse 17, he says, now do not forget what I'm calling you to. It's very interesting in the opening of verse 12, this is my commandment. If we could look at the literal original language, uh, it is really this way. This is the word, says Jesus, this is mine. This is the word, that which is mine. So this is Jesus' one major command as far as our relationships with each other go. Now this really ought to surprise us. Because back in chapter 14, he had said, If you love me, keep my commands, plural. And so as we hear him say that, we want to say, Well, Lord, which ones? Tell us what they are. And he gives to us one command. And we want to just say, what? Right? You mean to tell me this is it? Uh, Lord Jesus, you mean if I'm loving my fellow believers, this is the one thing that you want from me in relationships to other Christians? And Jesus is saying to us this morning, that's exactly right. Now you remember how Jesus would often say that that all the commandments of God are summed up in love. Remember how he said there are two great commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and and all your strength and, and all your mind. And then he said there is a second that is just like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you were sometime to go to John, uh, Romans 13, verses 8 to 10, you would see that the Apostle Paul picks up on this. And he says, the one who loves 
has fulfilled all the other commandments in the law of God. They are all summed up in loving one another. Now, there are two very, very critical ideas that come out of this that are very precious, but also very challenging. This is why the Christian life can be so joyful. Did you notice how in verse 11, Jesus introduces this section by saying, These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. How many of you have ever connected commands and joy before? Yippee! I have all these commands that I have to obey. What fun! Right? But when we see that they are love, that is very, very different. Uh, Do you know this year we just sent in our taxes for 2014? There were some complications, and it took uh, to the end of the year. And we finally got uh, a letter from the IRS, and this is what they said they resolved, and we owed more than we expected. That dirty IRS... taking my money from me. Now that's the attitude that you can have when you're sending that check. But when you're a Christian, you know what you say? It's the honest thing to pay what I owe. And as I send that check, I am loving my country by doing so. That changes the whole thing. It changes the whole thing. You see, no matter how hard it may be, it is a wonderful thing to know you are showing real love. Real love. You see, that's the Christian life. Now, a second idea that comes out of this is our relationship with other believers shows our true relationship with God. There is a very, very clear, unbreakable chain here. In chapter 14, Jesus says, the Father loves me. Then he says, I love you, my children. And then he says, I want you to love each other. One of my favorite Bible students is D.A. Carson, and he says this, By an unbreakable chain, love for God is tied to and verified by love for other believers. Let me say that again. By an unbreakable chain, love for God is tied to and verified by love for other believers. Do you mean how I treat other believers is how I treat God? Exactly right. Exactly right. One of the most challenging comments that I have ever read about this 
comes from William Barclay, who wrote much on our understanding of the New Testament. Listen to these very, very challenging words. There's no greater religious peril than to identify goodness with certain so-called religious acts. The fundamental question is, how is a man's heart towards God and towards his fellow men? If in his heart there's enmity, bitterness, grudges, pride, not all the outward religious observances in the world will make him anything other than a hypocrite. No man can be at peace with God and at variance with his fellow men. Do you mean to say how I treat Ellen is how I treat God? Do you mean to say how I treat my brothers and sisters in Christ is how I treat God? Exactly right. Exactly right. I've just got to say, whoa, whoa. Lord Jesus, you have my attention. You have my attention. Now what Jesus does in this passage is he moves on from the commandment to the nature of this love. And verses 13 to 16 are an expansion of the last little phrase in verse 12, as I have loved you, as I have loved you. And now what Jesus does is he expands on this so that we can understand exactly what this kind of love is that we are called to. So let's look at it together. First of all, I want you to notice that it is a self-sacrificing kind of love. In verse 13, he says, Greater love is no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Now, if we say, what kind of love is Jesus talking about? Well, it's very clear. He's talking about God's love, and God's love always involves sacrifice. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he what? He gave. He gave. Jesus' example in his death is the superlative degree of love. Do you remember that was what the foot washing was all about? Uh, we began this study on the uh, Last Supper with the foot washing of Jesus and the disciples. And you recall how the disciples were so self-centered, none of them would wash each other's feet. In fact, they were arguing with each other about who was going to be the greatest. And so Jesus took the basin, he poured the water in it, he got the towel, he washed their feet, and then he said, you also should do just as I have done to you. Now the foot washing was an illustration of his death on the cross. 
When he poured the water into the basin, it illustrated him pouring out his life for us in his death. When he washed and cleansed their feet and dried them with a towel, it illustrates the cleansing and washing of our lives from sin in salvation. And now Jesus says, Just as I have illustrated what I'm going to do for you in my death, this is what I want you to do for one another. I want you to lay down your lives for each other. Do you know the Apostle John never forgot this lesson? Turn with me for just a moment to 1 John 3, and I want you to notice verse 16. 1 John 3 And notice verse 16, John, now writing almost 60 years later, never forgot this lesson. Look what he says, 1 John 3, 16. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. Please put together John 3.16 and 1 John 3.16. Please put those together. God so loved the world that he gave. By this we know love that he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. This teaches me a, a very important lesson. The number one virtue for all successful Christian ministry is laying down our lives for each other. The number one virtue for all successful ministry is laying down our lives for each other. In one of the churches that I pastored, I remember a person coming to me saying they wanted to be a leader because they had some good ideas. And when I heard that, I thought to myself, that is not the first reason to be in leadership. The first and foremost reason to be a leader is because you want to lay down your life for the congregation. And it's because you want to lay down your life for your fellow leaders. Now, there will be plenty of time for good ideas. But without love, anyone's good ideas will ultimately only end up causing friction and alienation. The Bible says this, If I have not love... I am a noisy gong, and I am a clanging cymbal. I've mentioned to you many times that Ellen worked for 13 years in a Christian bookstore. If you were to ask ask her this day, to this day, who were some of the most difficult people you had to wait on, you know what she would say? Some of the hardest people they waited on were pastors. Some of those guys were demanding, impatient. They left a sour taste in the mouths of the clerks. And you have to say, you're going to be that way and then go out and pastor a church? 
Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? And this is true in every area of service. You show me somebody who is good at evangelism, and I'll show you somebody who's willing to lay down their life for the lost. You show me a good Sunday school teacher, and I will show you somebody who's willing to lay down their life for their students. Show me a man who's a good husband. He's a man who will be willing to lay down his life for his wife. A good parent is someone who will lay down their life for their children. Show me an Awana worker who has an impact on children, and I will show you somebody who is willing to lay down their life for those children. It is always and ever the most important key to successful ministry. Self-sacrificing love is always the bedrock of successful ministry. It is always that way. Let's look at the second characteristic of this love. It is an insightful love. It is an insightful love. Jesus says, you are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I've called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. Now, do you knew this blew the disciples' minds? They were shocked when Jesus said, you are my friends, because in the whole Bible, there are only two men who are called the friend of God, Abraham and Moses. And if we want to know, why were they called the friends of God? Well, it's because God gave them some revelation that set them apart from all others. To Abraham, God gave the Abrahamic covenant that revealed that the Hebrews were going to be God's people. And then Moses came along, and God gave to Moses the Mosaic covenant that revealed that the Hebrews were going to become the nation of Israel, and God would have a very special plan for them. Do you know um, Psalm 103 verse 7 says, God showed his acts to the people of Israel, but to Moses his friend, God showed his ways. God showed his ways. Now, Jesus says here, I don't call you servants anymore. I call you friends. And a servant is like a soldier in the military. They just do what they're told. But intimate friends get the details. Now we are still Jesus' servants, but we are also now his friends because he has revealed his plan to us. That's the idea he wants us to understand. Remember this little diagram that I shared with you a couple of weeks ago? This is how we become the friends of God. God gave his final revelation to the apostles. And they, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, wrote down that revelation in the 27 books of the New Testament, and they finished God's word to mankind. Then the Holy Spirit illumined them so that they could understand this word, And the Bible teaches us that the Holy Spirit illumines us 
so that we can understand this word as well. Brothers and sisters, you only do this with your friends. You only do this with your friends. Jesus' point here is this. We now know what is going on so that we can love with insight. We know God is saving a people and bringing them into his church. That when this church age is over, Jesus is going to come and snatch us out of it. He is then going to fulfill his plan for this world. When that plan is fulfilled, he will come back with us, establish his kingdom, and we will rule and reign with him forever and ever. We now know what is going on. And because we have been let in on the plan, we can love insightfully because we now know how to love. What an amazing difference this makes in our lives. When I'm driving along on the highway and and somebody cuts me off, I don't shake my fist at them and, and yell a bunch of expletives because I know that I'm representing Jesus Christ. When in the church somebody hurts me, you cannot be a pastor over 30 years without absorbing hurts. I can be forbearing and patient because I know I am building Christ's kingdom. And we can be generous with our money. We can give that money to a cause like the Gideons. Because when we do, we know we are laying up treasure in heaven. What a tremendous difference it makes to have the insight of the plan of God so that it changes all the ways that we react and respond. We now can love with insight. Here's a third characteristic of this love. Thirdly, this is a humbling love. This is a humbling love. Look at verse 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you. Do you know, in Jesus' day, it was common for disciples to choose their teacher? And then when they would choose that teacher, they would brag about being that teacher's uh, disciple. So they would say, uh, I'm of uh, Paul. I'm of Cephas. I'm of Apollos. And the ones who really wanted to puff themselves up, I'm of Christ. And Jesus cuts through all of that self-aggrandizement And he says, I want you to understand something. With me, it's exactly the opposite. You didn't choose me. I chose you. Now this word for choose here means to choose or pick out from a group. 
In fact, notice in verse 19 how Jesus uses the word again. He says, if you were of the world, the world would love you as its own, but because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. This here is Jesus' teaching on the doctrine of election. Now, the best illustration that I have ever seen of this is the illustration of the outside of a house and the inside of a house. When we come to Jesus Christ, it is sort of like coming to the house of salvation. And when we come on the outside, we see a sign, and that sign says, Whosoever will may come. And we love that. We say, I want Jesus, and I want his salvation. I want his forgiveness, and so we enter in. And we think that it was all our decision. We think that we initiated it. But when we get on the inside, and we look back at the inside of the door, now inside the house of salvation, this is what we read. He chose us in him before the foundation of the world. And all of a sudden, our eyes get big, and we recognize, I am a part of a far bigger plan than I ever knew. And we begin to realize, God chose me first. And my choice was brought about because of his choice, and his choice was before the world was even made, and it is that choice that led to my choice of Jesus. Now, the doctrine of election is often misunderstood. So let's just clarify it for a bit this morning. Were it not for election, no one would be saved. Let me read for you from Romans chapter 3 for just a moment. None is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside, together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. If God did not choose, the population of heaven would be zero. Because all reject him. The great pastor Charles Spurgeon said this, I believe the doctrine of election because I am quite sure that if God had not chosen me, I should never have chosen him. A question we have is, well, what about the non-elect? And what the Bible teaches is that God will be completely just with them. Abraham said this to God in Genesis 18.25. He said, Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? And no one will be lost for eternity because God did not choose them. Election is only for the saved. Those who are lost are lost because they choose to be so. And then here's the third thing we must understand. Election should be a great cause for humility because God is the cause of our salvation. 
You see, we have not made a better choice than those who have decided not to be saved. We were not wiser. We were not more inclined. We were not more responsive. If we were, we could stand before God and we could boast. We could say, I deserve to be in heaven because my neighbor made a bad choice, but I had the wisdom to make the right choice. I had the wisdom to make the good choice. But listen to what 1 Corinthians 1, 28 and 29 says. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. You see, Jesus knew our tendency to think too highly of ourselves. I'll never forget one time hearing a sermon from Dr. Lehman Strauss. And in the sermon he said, we all have too much pride. And when I heard that, I said, a truer statement has never been made. And all of that destroys effective Christian service. So Jesus deflates all of it. He cuts through our tendency to puff ourselves up. He says, I want you to understand, it's not your choice that brought me to you. It is my choice that brought you to me. There was a man who went to a very famous theologian. He said to him, why did Jesus choose Judas to be one of the twelve? The theologian said, I don't know, but I have a harder question. Why did Jesus choose me? Brothers and sisters, why as a teenager did God save me? Why did he call me into the ministry? Why am I as a believer in Christ in this pulpit teaching God's word today? It's because of an eternal plan and Jesus' choice of me. If that does not humble us, nothing will. Nothing will. Tonight I will preach in the prison. And as I preach in the prison, I know this. Were it not for God's gracious purposes in my life, I would be just like one of those prisoners. And when that humbles us, then we're ready to serve. Now here's the last element of this love. It is a fruitful love. It is a fruitful love. Jesus says, I appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, 
he may give it to you. Why does Jesus make us self-sacrificing? Why does he give us the insight that we know what's going on? Why does he humble us? Because he has a mission for us. When he says, this is my desire, I'm commissioning you, that you would bear fruit and that fruit would remain, clearly the fruit here is winning people to Christ and then building them up in the faith so that they remain in the vine, in the Lord Jesus. And he says here, the Father has given us the privilege of prayer so that our efforts will be blessed. That's what Jesus is saying here. Jesus makes us self-sacrificing. He gives us His insight into His plan. He humbles us, and He gives us the privilege of answered prayer. And He might use us in His great work of reaching souls and building them into His vine. This past fall... I received a surprise phone call. It was from a man that I thought I'd had little impact on. I'd had no contact with this man for over a decade, and all of a sudden one day the phone rings, and I thought, that's a familiar area code. I wonder who this is that is calling me. I picked up the phone, and it was this man I had not seen in over a decade and thought that I had little impact on. And you know what he called me to say? Thank you for your ministry in my life. And he began to share with me how he was going on with the Lord and growing in his faith And he wanted to thank me for my ministry. In fact, he said, I'd like to come up and visit you. And I I just thought to myself, this is the last person I would ever have thought. And when I hung up the phone, I thought to myself, Lord, could never have believed that I had the impact in his life that he is sharing with me. Do you see what our Lord is saying? When we love like this, lives can be changed for the glory of God. Let's affirm it together. Would you join me in just saying, Lord, This is how I want to relate to my brothers and sisters. Let's affirm it together. Self-sacrificing love. Insightful love. Humbling love. And fruitful love. Lord, is this it? Is this it with one another? Yes, it is. Yes, it is.
Let's bow our hearts together before the Lord. As we wait upon the Lord today, if you are like me, you feel that you have only scratched the surface of loving one another. You feel as though your love is tested time and time again. And you feel often weary. But as you see what Jesus has called us to, it thrills your heart And it causes you to want to love him more and more and his people more and more. I don't know how God has spoken to you, but however he has, would you say, Lord Jesus, I want you to change me in this area. I want you to deepen your love in and through me in the ways that you have shown. Lord, I confess that I have too much pride. I have too much selfishness. I do not always respond with the insight that ought to come because I know your word. And I should be more involved in fruitfully reaching others and helping them grow. However the Lord might be nudging you today, it is decision time for each of us. Blessed Savior, we thank you that by your Spirit, your Word lives, comes to our hearts and shows us all that you want us to be. And I thank you that we can be different because you are here molding and shaping us after your will. Thank you, Lord Jesus, today. For Jesus' sake, amen.